Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. You're listening to Alamo City Limits Podcast with Noah McGarrow-George, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of Pounding the Rock in SB Nation. What's going on, Spurs fans? Welcome back to Alamo City Limits, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of SB Nation and Pounding the Rock. As always, I'm your host, Noah McGarrow-George, and that's my co-host, Damian Bartonek. And today we're talking training camp. We're talking media day as the offseason is finally coming to a close. But first, man, how are you doing on this fine Monday morning? You mean th- uh, Thursday morning? Oh, Thursday morning! <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Give me, a, yeah, Thursday. I wrote Monday in the rundown, yeah. so you can tell that I'm, I'm all over the place. But yes, Thursday morning. It's almost the weekend. Yeah, yeah no, no you're Thursday good. Morning. And the only reason why I know it's a fact, it's Mondays because, th- or it's Thursday. Look, see now I'm messing up. It's Thursday and Friday. Thursday and Friday coming up, or you know, Thursday today's because um, I intern at KXAN on Thursdays and Fridays. So I'm the only day like I have off every week. Noah is Sunday, like where I have nothing to do. Yeah, man, I, I've been good. Obviously, you know, by the sound of what I just said, <laughs> I'm really busy, right? I have a lot of stuff going on right now. Uh, I have since about, you know, late May, but I'm just tuning, you know, for graduation, you know, getting ready for that. Uh, I have a crazy plan for that. And then um, just applying for jobs, bro. I've been applying, you know, at every, every you know, TV spot in the country, you know, sports anchor, sports reporter uh, roles. I have an interview tomorrow. And uh, yeah, man, just a lot of movement, man. A lot of movement. Yeah, you've been busy. You were interning with Kins 5. You're now at a station that you just mentioned in Austin. So, man, you're making really good progress. You've been super, super busy. This offseason has not really been that busy if you're a Spurs yeah. fan. we got to be honest, it's been pretty dead. We talked about it last time. Not that much has happened since last time, but what has happened is Media Day. Media Day happened. We had training camp happen. So I think what we want to do here is First, we're going to keep our listeners in the loop, let them know that we're recording this podcast. It's about 9.27 a.m. on Thursday morning, September 29th. And I guess with that squared out of the way, let's go ahead and just dive into the things. They kicked off media day on Monday. Training camp opened on Tuesday. And their first preseason game is going to be against the Houston Rockets this Sunday at 6 p.m. So we'll get into that. But right now at an average age of just 23.9 years old it's the youngest roster in franchise history so keeping with that theme let's go ahead and discuss all these players one by one by one we've got 20 guys to go down the line and we're going to start youngest go to the oldest so the first guy dame that we're going to be talking about real quick we're not going to spend too much time with all these guys but the first guy we're going to talk about is forward center dominic barlow 19 years and 126 days old he's on a two-way contract what are your thoughts on him? What are your expectations? I think that's what we want to get done today. Just expectations for the preseason. We'll eventually get into like a regular season pod. 
once we get the preseason over with, but what are your expectations for him this preseason? I think really the, the main thing is uh, energy, for sure. The energy level that he plays with, I think that was one thing that everyone kind of discussed, everyone kind of liked when they watched him play. Uh, and then his versatility on both ends of the floor, specifically on defense. I think he has some really good hips, uh, really good foot speed. So I think those are kind of the two things I'm expecting to see uh, in preseason. And I think you know, although he's one of like kind of the, the, the you know not really known you know prospects from this past year's drive class, I think versatility and and you know athleticism those are two things Noah that you and I discuss all the time, <laughs> and uh, I think you know you can never have too much of that in the modern NBA. No, I agree with you. I think there's really not that much to talk about when it comes to Dominic Barlow. I like him as a prospect, we've talked about him in the past. I don't think he's going to see that many minutes during the preseason just because you've already got guys like Jeremy Sohan, you've got guys like Keita Bates-Diop, you've got guys even like Zach Collins and Isaiah Roby ahead of him on the depth chart. I mean, so this is a two-way guy. He's the seventh youngest guy in the NBA this season. He's making a massive jump from overtime elite to the NBA. That's a wild difference in level of competition. So I don't have a lot of expectations for him this preseason. So we can go ahead, move on to the next guy. This is a guy who we probably will talk about a lot this season. Jeremy Sohan, forward out of Baylor, 19 years old and 132 days old. So what are your thoughts on him? What are you expecting from him in this preseason, especially considering he missed summer league? You know, he had COVID. Uh, so w what are we expecting from him heading into this first game? I think for me, it's kind of the similar thing of Dominic Barlow, but obviously to a much higher extent because Sohan, I believe, as a, as a defender can defend just about anyone and anything at the NBA level. Obviously, if he switched on to, you know, point guards or, you know, ones and twos, there might be a little bit, you know, of speed deficiency there. But overall, man, I think he can hold his own against just about anyone. So versatility on defense is something I'm going to be looking for. Uh, and also the passing. I think... The passing is one thing that you and I thought, hey, that might be kind of, uh, not to say his bread and butter, but something that really kind of opens up everything for him as an offensive talent as he develops. And so I'm really going to be <clears throat> looking to see, you know, as a passer, what is he, you know, how how comfortable is he? Because uh, you mentioned, too, he missed summer league. So I want to see kind of how comfortable he is in the offense, especially as a passer. Yeah, I think he, and we've said it many times, this is probably a buzzword by now, but connective tissue kind of guy. Like, he's not probably going to bring the ball down the court that often. He's probably not going to run a ton of possessions as the pick-and-roll ball handler, but he does have some passing chops. You know, good high-low passer, good post passer, good connective tissue guy. Overall, just, you mentioned it, you know, the versatility on both ends. You know, he can do a little bit of everything. Jack-of-all-trades, master of none, but he yeah, is a guy yeah. who we both really like and I think the questions that I want to see answered here is one you know how does he look in his first professional game does he look comfortable out there he missed summer league so you know he's going to be part of this training camp but from what I've heard at the training camp uh, at media day these guys have really just been doing like open runs so basically like glorified scrimmages you know they're not running sets they're not there's not a ton of structure they're just getting out there getting familiar so one how does he look Two, does he crack the starting rotation? And we'll talk about why he might crack the starting rotation later. I don't want to, you know, like get too ahead of ourselves here, but does he crack the starting rotation? And then what position does he play? I mean, positionless basketball, small ball, you know, does he play some small ball center? Is he the power forward? Do they maybe throw him at the three a little bit? So just kind of want to see those things answered. Other than that, I don't have expectations that'll come out there and be like the leading scorer or you know, the guy who runs the offense or anything like that. I just kind of want to see how does he respond in his first professional action. Now the next guy, guard forward, let's call him a wing, Malachi Branham, 19 years and 140 days old. He's the third youngest guy on this roster. And I think 
to be honest with you, I think he's the most polished in terms of his scoring repertoire uh, out of all the rookies on this roster. But I guess what what do I expect from him? I don't I don't know. Like I don't even know how much <laughs> he'll play during the preseason. I think he'll play more during the preseason than he will during the regular season. But what do you anticipate to see from him? What What are your thoughts? Yeah, so Malachi Branham's really interesting to me because I feel like I agree with you as a score, you know, off, you know, as a as a shot creator. I feel like he's really really, you know, one of the better talents the Spurs have. And off ball as well, he can score. Uh he's a really good mover off the ball. But the one thing I'm kind of looking to see is against NBA action uh and low-level NBA action in the summer league, his athletic limitations were kind of already show, like showing, right? So I'm wondering, what is that going to look like against, you know, obviously these players, you know, everyone is going to be playing against here in this setting isn't all going to be on, you know, an NBA roster during the 82-game season. But I'm kind of curious to see what does that look like against, a, you know, a step up in competition because, yeah, he's a great scorer, he's polished, but if he's still, you know, athletically limited like that and, and it's kind of already showing, I wonder, you know, is he going to take a route like, you know, I know we say like guys like DeMar DeRozan, they know how to master playing with pace and stuff like that. But DeMar's also an exceptional athlete. So it's kind of like yeah. he'd have to find that kind of level where he plays with the, with the pace and, and, and a knowledge of the game like DeMar DeRozan on offense. But he's still a lesser athlete. So in my head, I'm just like, it's kind of hard for me to envision a lot of success uh, with that, you know, with those kind of limitations. But I do think there is something to like with, you know, Malachi Branham. So... Really, man, it's it's the athleticism, man. That's what I'm. That's what I'm. You know, kind of looking to see, looking out for. Yeah, and I think I'm like a little bit less worried about his athleticism. Uh, you know, okay. To be fair, he missed three of his four dunks that he had at summer league, or three of his four dunk attempts that he had at summer league. But I did find that he looked a little more explosive, not in terms of like his straight line speed or his burst or anything like that, but in terms of elevating in a crowd. He had a couple of wrong foot offhand attempts that were like whoa I didn't know he could even get up like he didn't finish them but like I didn't know he could get up like that especially in a crowd so more than anything I'm not really worried about like you know can he kind of cut it with the better athletes I kind of just wonder you know does he have more assertiveness because I think that was one thing that Mitch Johnson mentioned was like okay during summer league it's not that weird to see players go all out and it's like a little bit me, me, me. What can I do? How can I show off? You know, I want to show everybody that I'm that guy or that I belong on a roster. And with Malachi Branham, you know, what Mitch Johnson was saying was he's so unselfish and he's just trying to play the game the right way and he's just trying to fit in that he didn't really stand out. Like he wasn't being selfish enough. He wasn't taking those shots. And we really didn't see him assert himself until like probably the last two games of Summer League, which he played well. And I actually think we mentioned this during a previous podcast, but the frenetic pace and kind of that me, me, me selfishness of Summer League, just that atmosphere of Summer League, he doesn't really fit that well into that. But in a team construct with a little bit more, I guess, a, l- a little bit more structure, I think you'll see see something better from him. So I, I guess like what I'm looking for from him is can he be a little bit more assertive? Is he going to look to score more? And then two... Can he play defense? Because I think as a team defender, he was pretty lost in college, and that was still pretty apparent even in summer league, which is a little worrisome. And then he wasn't good man-to-man. Those athletic limitations, they may not bother him that much on the offensive end, but defensively, if you can't stay in front of people, yeah, that's that's not good. So I'm looking out for those. Uh, Third guy who we'll move on to here, Blake Wesley. 
He's the final of the first round rookies for San Antonio, 19 years and 197 days old. I want to open with a quote real quick from Greg Popovich. I did think it was kind of interesting. He mentioned this on the very first day on media day. And he was just basically saying, you know, there will be guys getting minutes much quicker than they might have expected, which it's, it's just fun to throw guys in the fire, see who survives, see who needs what. Does somebody need more confidence? Does somebody need a kick in the butt? Like for me, I love that. You know, is he going to throw rookies in there? I don't know. You know, is he just saying that or does he mean it? Because I think we've heard a similar sentiment that like, oh, you know, we're rebuilding, you know, we're on a different path, but it didn't necessarily fall in line with what he was saying. So does he commit to that? And if he commits to that, does that mean we see more of Blake Wesley? Do you think we're going to see more of Blake Wesley during the preseason? Oh, yeah, no, 100%. 100%. I I think the one thing about, I think, uh, you know, out of the Spurs, you know, players in the summer league, I think Blake Wesley was the guy that showed, like, it doesn't matter what the environment is. If he's looking to get a bucket, he's going to try to get a bucket. Obviously, the efficiency numbers weren't there. You know, he shot, I believe it was like, what, 30% from the field (laughs) during summer league? It was not good. You know, 34% from three, but... I think he's a guy that when I think that quote kind of speaks to me, and I think he's a guy that when pops like we're gonna throw him into the fire, I think Blake Wesley, at least from a confidence perspective, and to an extent a skill perspective, because I think you know as an athlete he's phenomenal. I think as a defender he can be you know he can make an impact in a small role off the bench. But I think he's a guy that you know when Pop was like yeah we're gonna throw him into the fire, I think that kind of fits Blake Wesley because I think Wesley can play right now. Now obviously it's not gonna be great right here. <laughs> You're gonna see him you know look like a, all of a rookie. But I think I think he's definitely ready to play, ready to contribute. And I think the thing for me that I'll be looking for is can that, you know, can that efficiency get a little bit better? Can he kind of play with pace a little bit? That's something that I'll probably echo a lot in this in this podcast. But can he kind of learn to kind of play with pace? Can the game kind of slow down for him a bit? That's something that I'll be I'll be watching for. Yeah, I don't know if I have as much confidence in Blake Wesley. I know that he had a very, very short media session with local reporters. It was like five minutes long. They didn't ask him that many questions, but they asked him what he'd been working on this summer. And he said, you know, I felt like I finished better around the rim. I feel like my shot got a little more consistent because I was really focusing on those things. Well, that's great. Those are two areas that he definitely needed to work on. But like, let's be honest, it's been, what, two months since Summer League, where he didn't shoot very well from three, where he didn't finish very well around the rim, most shots blocked out of any player at Summer League this Summer League. So I don't know that I'm that confident in him. Like, he, he's got a long way to go, I think, in terms of being a point guard. Because, you know, I told you that. Like, during Summer League, I asked him, you know, what do you see yourself as? What do you want to bring to the table? And he said, I'm a point guard. And we talked about it. Like, yeah. if he sees himself on a point guard, a point guard's job has changed in the NBA. Like you see more scoring guards now, but you still got to facilitate. And that guy was had a few flashes, some really bright flashes, I'll add. Really, really promising flashes. But for the most part, you know, missing passing reads, overlooking teammates, forcing things at the rim. I just feel like, and this is kind of going beyond what we expect from him during the preseason, because I do think he will play. He will get an opportunity. That point guard position is kind of in flux for the Spurs. But I think we're going to see a lot of him in the G League. That's just my feeling. Now, maybe not, but I do think he is probably going to be in the G League. As for the preseason game that's coming up here, I'm interested to see, do they use him at point guard? You know, he said he sees himself as a point guard, but for me, it's Trey Jones. We'll get into him later. It's Josh Primo. He's up next. But yeah, I don't don't know if Blake Wesley's going to get a ton of run at point guard, but if they do, 
it'll be interesting to see how has he kind of learned for the last two months, you know? So is it film? Is it, you know, reps? Does that help? So we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, and I think for me with with Blake Wesley, I, I, I think he's someone that can play right now. You know, obviously, like I mentioned, in a small role, but I can also see, you know, according to the track record, I, I definitely also expect him to see some G League time as well. So I don't really know, you know, the balance that Pop and them are going to, you know, roll with here. But I do think that we're going to see these guys play. I think, you know, every rookie that we mentioned that they picked in this class, all three of them, uh, I think are gonna they're gonna see some NBA minutes now. Maybe not a ton. Obviously not starting minutes. I don't believe you know maybe Sohan. We'll talk about that later. But I think these guys. I think all of them at some point uh, you'll see them playing. Um, you know at the AT and T Center for a good minute. I agree with you. I think during the preseason we'll see them the most, but during the regular season, you know, minutes will probably look different for all of them. One guy who you probably will see a lot of, as we kind of teased a second ago, Josh Primo. 19 years and 279 days old. There are only 19 players from the 2022 draft class that are younger than him entering this NBA season. Only 16 of those guys are going to be playing in the NBA this season. Four of them are on the Spurs roster. All of the guys that we mentioned earlier. He's going to be really interesting because, as we mentioned, not a lot of point guards on this roster. Really, Trey Jones is the only one who stands out as a pure playmaker, natural point guard. Does he start? Is he the starter? I've heard a lot about, you know, he's going to start. Oh, I think he should start from fans. A couple of media members have said, oh, yeah, I think he should start. What is your opinion? And do you think that th- that he's going to start during the preseason? Because preseason regular season are different. But are they going to give him that opportunity during these preseason games to start at point guard? Noah, I feel like, I don't know if you, I don't know if in the regular season pod if we're going to talk about our starting lineups, but like, not to kind of show my hand a little bit, but I think Trey Jones and like Devin Vassell are going to be your one and two, right? And I think Keldon uh, be at the three, you know, Sohan at the four, Jakob at the five. So I don't think Josh Primo is going to start. I do think he's going to play a lot, though. I think off the bench, he's probably going to be in like a six man kind of role. I'm excited for you because, you know, you're a Trey Jones guy and I want to see some Trey Jones starting PG minutes. <laughs> but I think with Josh Primo, man, there's so many things that I like about him, and I, my expectations were never like super high, right? I don't think anyone should have been, you know, Kobe or the Devin Booker stuff. But as an off-ball shooter, as a shooter in general, I'm I'm a believer, right? In the summer league, shot 50% from three. He only played two games, but he was three of six. That was like his averages, you know, on both of those games. I think as a shooter, he can be a really, really good one uh, off the ball, especially. I think there's a lot to like from him as an athlete. And I also think that he's also shown some flashes of like that Canadian style of playing with pace like we see from SGA and guys like that uh, that I really think can kind of, you know, manipulate a defense, kind of manipulate the pace of a game and really kind of get to his spots. So I do like some of the flashes I see as an off ball. I mean, an on ball creator from Josh Primo. Uh, With that said, I think this year and going forward, he's going to be more in that six man role. And as far as the preseason, a little funny like tidbit. Everyone's kind of, you know, up in arms about, or not up in arms, but excited about, you know, the weight he's gained, right? The mass, he, he looks huge, he looks huge. I want to see if he can actually use that, right? I, I'm not going to say I don't believe he's gained some mass, because it looks like he's gained a little bit. But playing, you know, playing with, you know, having, being strong, being a big guy, and having good play strength are two different things, right? Noah's, you know, families, are, are they're Eagles fans, right? Devontae Smith's 170 pounds, right? He, he, he's, he has, you know, twig arms, right? 
but he but he has some some immaculate play strength at that weight. So being <laughs> strong or being, you know, big and having, you know, good play strength are two completely different things. And so I'm wondering, you know, with that match in the preseason in the preseason if we can kind of see that kind of play itself out. Yeah, and I think it's actually kind of funny. I was going through all of the press conferences with these players, and Josh Primo was asked about, oh, you know, how much weight did you put on? You know, were you hitting the weight room, blah, 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 all of that. And he kind of just, like, broke out laughing because he was like, yeah, I mean, I try to stay off social media. I saw people calling me, like, you know, not Josh Primo, but Josh Dio because I got so big. And, like, <laughs> no, I, I didn't hit the weight room that hard. I was in the weight room. I was working hard when I was in the weight room, but there was nothing crazy like that. That's a direct quote. He said, you know, there was it, it was nothing crazy. And looking at him, you know, I saw him during Summer League. I stood, like, right next to him. And I have a reference for him because I saw him at Summer League last year. I, I covered a couple of the Austin Spurs games last season. He's bigger, but he's not significantly bigger than he was a year ago. And to be 100% honest with you, I do agree with you. There is a difference between like being built and having functional strength. But with Josh Primo, one of the things that worries me is I'm not super high on his self-creation ability. Fans got enamored with some of the stuff he did at Summer League where it's like he's stringing these dribble combinations together and it looks really pretty. But if you actually take a second and you watch and you, and you see what he's doing, you know, he's kind of dribbling to nowhere. Uh, he wasn't really getting past guys. He wasn't you know, creating these massive advantages where he's got someone, you know, beat on a dribble move and then he takes them to the rim or something like that. He really struggles to get to the rim. He really struggles to create an advantage, makes a ton of turnovers. And the other thing that is, is a little bit scary is I know people really love him as like a three-point shooter, but, you know, 33.9% on 304 attempts as a rookie, and that's summer league, preseason, G League, regular season play-in, all those games combined. And even at Alabama on just over 100 attempts, 38%, which is great, but that's not elite. And that's also from the college three-point line. So I kind of wonder, you know, is it okay if we pump the brakes on him a little bit? Because I don't think that it's fair to have those expectations sometimes. You know, we've heard fans say, oh, you know, second coming of Kobe or he's going to be Devin Booker. And like he can be a really good player and not reach that height, right? And he, he doesn't have to be a disappointment because, it, because he doesn't reach those heights. And I'm not saying he can't get there one day. Every player can get wherever they want to, I suppose. But some of the things do bother me that we talk about when we talk about him as a fan base. And it's, let's pump the brakes. Let's slow it down. You know, he's still only 19 years old. He hasn't shown us a lot. Like, even in the G League, it wasn't stellar efficiency. In the NBA, he shot below 40% in 50 games, Dame. I don't think people realize that, but he played 50 games as a rookie. So... Just kind of want to take it slower with him. Let him take it at his own pace. I think he shouldn't be the starter, but eventually should be. Kind of ease him into that role. Because I think if you kind of throw him into the fire like Pop was talking about, that can kind of almost be detrimental to everyone else. Like if you've got a guy who's turning the ball over a lot and he's not shooting very well and he's not creating advantages and defenses aren't respecting him, you're kind of losing out on opportunities for other players. You know, If you don't fire a pass, like pinpoint to a guy, or you're missing a passing read. Well, now that guy's missed an opportunity for an open three or, you know, an, an open cut or to have an advantage created for him. So I just think, you know, easing him into a role is probably better than just forcing him into being the starting point guard. And we'll get into Trey Jones later. Next guy that we're going to hit, Jordan Hall. We'll be real quick with this. Didn't look comfortable in an, an off-ball role, rather, during summer league. My question is, will he have more in an on-ball role? Will he even see very many minutes during the preseason? My guess is... Probably no. And then, Dame, my last question, and this is for you, 
can he knock down catch and shoot threes? Because he did so at a pretty good rate at St. Joseph's, you know, 36% in both seasons, roughly. But during summer league, two or four of 18 for 22.2%, he just didn't look super comfortable when he was asked to not have the ball in his hands like he did his whole college career. Yeah, I think Jordan Hall was a guy that, especially me, myself, uh, I, I loved the the uh, Kyle Anderson comp, right? I loved it, and I love <laughs> players like that. And I think, you know, as an on-ball, kind of like a distributor again, super comfortable. I think he's someone that, um, you know, at a G League level, you know, in preseason level, maybe we'll see that, you know, kind of flash a little bit. But, yeah, I think comfort's the number one thing we'll be both of us will be watching for because he looked kind of, I guess, deer in headlights would be, you know, a, a good kind of reference. Uh, just kind of looked like it was coming too fast for him. And, uh, you know, with that said, too, at the NBA level, you're not always going to have the ball in your hands, right? Unless you're, you know, Trey Young or Luka Doncic. So you got to figure out how to play and make an impact off the ball. So hopefully he can kind of, you know, show a little bit of flashes there throughout the preseason uh, and in the G League for sure. Absolutely. And we'll keep things moving. Now, this is a player who's really important to this team. Dev Vassell, 22 years and 37 days old. His birthday was not that long ago. He's entering his third season what do you expect from him in the preseason? DeJounte Murray is gone. Keldon Johnson, who we'll get into later, we'll kind of talk about it more later, but he's injured. So who's taking over the primary scoring role during the preseason? Is it Devin Vassell? What do you expect from him? Yeah, one thing that you and I both talked about uh, with Devin Vassell in 2020, I remember like on social media, on Twitter and stuff like that, was you know his his jump in what was it? it was like shot creation attempts or, or shots off the dribble from 20 from 2019 to 2020 or something like that and i want to see that i want to see a little bit of that in, in the preseason i want to see if there's still some room to grow there because i think i think so and i think if he can be a you know we mentioned the michael bridges comp right if you can be that and maybe offer a little bit more you know shot creation you know off the bounce ability hey man you're a really valuable player you're a really solid player for this team you're a you know a core piece of this franchise so uh, i think you know that can definitely be in the cards for Devin Vassell. At the same time, I'm not expecting him to, you know, start pulling out dribble moves like he's, you know, Trey Young or something <laughs> like that. But I think, you know, kind of real basic stuff to kind of get to his spots. You know, it doesn't always have to be pretty. I mean, I mentioned him earlier. DeMar DeRozan's a guy that not a lot of it is, you know, pretty per se. A lot of it's footwork and a lot of people overlook that kind of stuff. But as long as you're just efficient, you know, you're effective and you can get to your spot, you don't got to, you know, dribble, you know, pound the, you know, the, the, the ball into the pavement. So... I want to see what Devin Vassell can do off the bounce, man. That's that's what I'm excited to see. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. He said he added muscle this offseason, that he's been working on his handle, been working on getting to the rim. So if we can see those things kind of in action, that'll make me happy. He doesn't have to turn into you know Kobe Bryant. He doesn't have to become uh, you know any sort of superstar scorer like that. Anything in that ballpark, I'm not expecting that. But I am expecting to see at least a little more assertiveness, some more growth, because this is a guy who, this is going to be a big opportunity, and I think he realizes that. You know, he, he talked about how, you know, this is not just going to be a big opportunity for himself, but pretty much everybody on this roster, and I think he's probably primed to inherit most of that scoring, at least while Keldon Johnson is not here. So there's really not that much else to talk about when it comes to Devin Vassell. We know what he brings to the table, good three-point shooter, a great team defender. He's improving as an on-ball defender. You know, what else can he do? You know, what are we going to see? So we'll move on to the next guy. Fellow draft classmate of his, 22 years and 264 days old, Trey Jones. 
I'm a big Trey Jones guy. You know that. <laughs> I think he should be the starting point guard, not because I think he's going to become John Morant or he's going to become a Derrick Rose MVP level player. I think he should be the starting point guard because he's the best point guard on the roster and he gives this roster, you know, the best chance to develop. You know, you have a guy who doesn't make a lot of mistakes. He's not turning it over. He's making the right passing reads. He may not have a ton of gravity as a scorer. He may not be a great three-point shooter, but what he can do is get guys into a position to succeed, and I think that's instrumental in development. We talked about it. If you have a guy like Josh Primo who, you know, turning the ball over, missing reads, not delivering passes on time or in the shooting pocket, that can cost guys, and I don't think you're going to see that with Trey Jones. I think he's a guy who, even if it may not be sexy or it may not be spectacular, he'll be doing the right thing. He will always be making the right decision, even if it's not necessarily, uh, you know, the most entertaining. But I do like Trey Jones as a starting point guard. How do you feel about that? Do you think he will start against the Rockets? And is there anything that you're looking from him in particular heading into this preseason game? Nothing in particular that I'm like really, not to say not interested in, but I feel like I kind of know what he's what his strengths are, right? I don't think you know he's very comfortable as a three point shooter, but I think as a passer, I think he's he's definitely a, he could be a, a good secondary or tertiary creator uh, for you when he's on the floor. Uh, obviously, he'll be in like a, a quote unquote primary role, uh, but I still think he can provide a little bit of structure there as well. I know you mentioned uh, kind of the stuff that he brings. I was gonna make like an analogy of like you know when you put pizza in the oven, you can like either put it on a baking sheet or you can just put it on the grates, like. I think Trey Jones can be the baking sheet. Just put it on the sheet, and you know what I mean? You're good. You don't have it all leaking all, all on the bottom of your oven and stuff like that. And I think Trey Jones can be that for the Spurs, right? He's not going to be, you know, John Morant. But as long as he's just a, you know, a, a low to mid-floor kind of option to just give them a little bit of structure, that's all you could ask for. And to be quite honest with you, that's still a pretty solid NBA player. Like, that's a good player to have. Especially once you do find that point guard of the future, whoever it is. You, you know, put him back on the bench. And you have a very solid option there as well, right? What made guys, you know, not to say he's Patty Mills, but what made guys like Patty Mills so, you know, valuable and impressive was that not only could he, can, you know, create for himself, maybe off the ball a little bit too, but he could run the offense. And I think that's what Coach Pop really is going to stress this season is the fundamentals of running their system. And Trey Jones looks like he can be a guy that can do that. So that's kind of my, my spiel on, on Trey Jones. Yeah, no, I, I don't think there's a whole lot else to say. He mentioned that he's working on his three-point shot, that he's getting stronger. He wants to be more switchable because the NBA has become positionless. And that's kind of a theme that's going to come up with most of these players is they're going to talk about positionless basketball. And even Devin Vassell, I didn't mention it, but he talked about, you know, one through four, anyone can take the ball up. You know, if someone gets the rebound, they're going to get us into their set and that's going to surprise people, whatever. That's cool. Uh, with Trey Jones, you know, talking about the three-point shot, we'll see. You know, I'll believe it when I see it. Uh, we've heard that from several players in the past. It doesn't always come to fruition. So with Trey, I'm looking at it like this. You know, sometimes in the NFL, you get quarterbacks who are drafted and they don't play right away, right? And instead they opt for the game manager, you know, just a, a veteran who can get you into your offense. You know, he's not going to make any crazy deep ball throws. He's not going to have, you know, insane arm strength or arm talent or anything like that, but they're going to get you downfield you may score a couple of times, and like the Spurs are not going to have a prolific offense. If, if Trey can just come yeah. in there and be the game manager quarterback for this Spurs team, whatever. I'm happy with that. You know, I, I want to see what he can do, and, and maybe he surprises us, but I tend to think we kind of know what Trey Jones is, a high-end backup, and you know, for a guy who was drafted in the second round, I don't think there's a lot else that you can ask from, 
from uh, from Trey Jones. So we'll move on to the next guy, Romeo Langford. He's also 22 years old. He's a guy who I do think is on the bubble. I think it's between him and Kieda Bates Diop. I don't really know which way it's going to lean. You can look at it from a lot of different ways, but Dame, I'll throw this out to you and then I'll get your opinion on him. He's missed 106 possible games out of 204 games that he could play in the NBA so far. Most of those are due to injury, and it has been a long, I mean long list of injuries. Three separate ankle injuries, four illnesses, non-COVID related, wrist, adductor, concussion, calf, neck, Achilles, heel, groin, knee, and that's just in the NBA. He played at Indiana with a torn ligament in his thumb. The guy has never been healthy. So what are your opinions of him real quick? Because we won't spend too much time on him. And does he have a chance to make the roster? He has a chance, and I think preseason is going to be the deciding factor, to be honest. I think as a defender, you know, you've, you've you know, kind of wrote a lot about this and talked about how, you know, there's a lot to like there. But I'm really, it's just a big question mark. Romeo Langford for me is a big question mark. And I'm honestly at this point, Sometimes, man, analysis is easy. I just want to see it. <laughs> I just want to see what's going on, man. I just want to I, – because I, I don't know. So that's kind of my, my, my take on it. Yeah, I think that's fair. He's healthy for the first time in pretty much his entire career heading into a preseason. There's no nicks. There's no bruises. He's going to be okay. I wrote about him. It was a 1,300-word article. And the two things that I mentioned that he really needs to figure out heading into his what could be a really pivotal year, not just for does he make the Spurs, but does he stick into the NBA for long term? Can he be a guy who moves without the ball? Can he be a guy who can shoot the three just spot up? Doesn't have to be you know movement off screens and transition, just spot up threes. Can he do that reliably? Those are the two things that I'm looking for. You go through the numbers, Dame. He was one of the lowest impact movers without the ball. He traveled... Almost, I, I don't want to say he didn't move at all without the ball, like he wasn't traveling at all. He definitely relocated here and there, but you go through his possessions with the Celtics. This is a guy who mostly stood in the corner and was seemingly happy to do so. You know, so I, I want to see that can't be him. That you can't just be a guy who stands in the corner and then you're not knocking down shots from the corner. So I want to see more from him. We'll move on to probably the most important player on this roster. Keldon Johnson, he is also 22 years old. He'll be 23 by the time the season starts. Dame, he dropped 21 pounds this offseason. He talked about how he dropped 21 pounds. He's faster, stronger. What are your impressions of that? Do you think that's going to help him? And we're not going to get to see him. As we mentioned, he had his shoulder dislocated in, a, in just a you know casual run with some of the other players. So he'll be out until the first regular season game. But how does that weight loss affect him? And then also, how does that injury affect him? What is that going to look like heading into a season where he's in a different role? Yeah, I think it's gonna be. I think it's gonna be so interesting, man. First, with the with the weight loss stuff, he's definitely lost uh, a good a good bit of body fat. That's definitely what he's what he's lost. And I believe the twenty one pounds because in my own you know experience. I remember when I first started, because I'm sure what happened is this. They probably like cut his calories down by anywhere from five to 800. So at least five to 800 calories is probably what they cut it down to. And you can trim fat like nobody's business. They probably didn't have him on, on, on heavy carbs, right? A lot of, you know, good carbs, but nothing too heavy. A lot of, a lot of carbs that have a lot of fiber. And I think, man, he, he definitely looks much, uh, much more defined 
but he still has good mass. So he didn't lose any mass. So that's why I'm assuming he just lost a good chunk of body fat. And when you do that, man, when the body fat gets shredded like that early on in the diet, you'll be fine. So I think I definitely believe him. I don't think that's cap. I what I am what I am interested to see though is like you mentioned, he did he does have a shoulder injury right now. He is hurt right now. And he's in a, gonna be in an entirely different role. Like, I don't really know what I'm going to expect because so with DeJounte Murray, you know, we did see a guy in Kelton Johnson that, you know, really, really, really solid, you know, stand-up, you know, spot-up shooter, right? Really good out from three-point range. Still kind of had, you know, moments where, you know, the tunnel vision came back, especially against uh, the Pelicans. You know, you saw that right whenever, you know, the going got tough, he went right back to what he knew. But you did see some kind of flashes of him off the off the dribble a little bit, a little bit of flashes of him as a passer. So I'm wondering if he can be like a – I just mentioned how Trey Jones can be a secondary or tertiary creator – if Kelton Johnson could be kind of something like that as well, right? So I'm really, really excited to see what he does. And I think the Spurs, you know, by giving him that extension too, they look at him as a long-term asset as well. So I'm really, really excited to see what Kelton Johnson looks like at the three, especially, you know, leaned up, uh, looking really, really strong, looking really defined. And uh, yeah, man, I love talking about the body, so we can do this all day. <laughs> yeah, I'm really interested to see how it affects his burst. Like, he's not a guy who has particularly quick feet either. Like, on defense, I've heard him described as having brick feet at times, which, like, I think that's a little bit accurate, but leaning down that much, I think it'll help his mobility. I think it'll improve his first step, and, you know, he may not be... You know, again, like guys who we've mentioned, like a John Moran, he's not going to take you off the dribble and beat you every time with his first step. But having an improved first step, I think, will go a long way because I think he'll have the ball in his hands more. And he was the second guy alongside Devin Vassell to mention just how many guys can handle the ball. And when they asked him if he had point guard skills, he was like, yeah, yeah, I have some point guard skills. And I think whatever the team needs me to do, that's what I'm going to do. And I'm ready to handle the ball. And look, I believe him that he's ready to do that. But much like Trey Jones with the three-point shot, I'll believe it when I see it. So that's what I want to see. We're not going to see it during the preseason, but we're going to get an opportunity to see him, I think, as the primary scorer, as a guy who gets more pick-and-roll, ball-handling reps. He didn't have a lot of those last season. And again, I want to hammer this home, but last year I really wanted to see him as a role man. We only got 12 possessions with him as a role man last year, and I still want to see it. I think it can unlock some of that short-roll passing and just – make him have those quick decisions and improve his passing, his awareness in general. So with Keldon, we're not going to get to see him during the preseason, but we'll be looking for one. Has he expanded his scoring package? Does his handle look better? Is his defense better? And then has his playmaking t- you know, taken a step forward? As you mentioned, kind of gets the blinders, has tunnel vision at time, but you know, he said he's been watching tape and we'll look for that once the season opens. The next guy... We won't spend much time with him either. Joe Wieskamp, his job is definitely not in jeopardy or anything like that, but I don't really see an avenue for him earning a role unless he becomes the second coming of Doug McDermott, basically. And look, I think he's he's making progress as a shooter, but I don't think he's there yet. Yeah, I don't really have much to add because I'm in that same boat, man. I think... A lot would have to go his way, and he'd have to improve in you know certain areas. But like, like you mentioned, it would have to be a a Doug McDermott esque type of role, and I don't know if he's going to be that. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's fine. Uh, he, he'll have a <laughs> chance to prove himself during the preseason. Maybe he'll get minutes here or there. We'll move to the next guy, Isaiah Roby. I'm a pretty big fan of his. I think he can carve out a role on this team. It's just a matter of 
you know, is going to be competing with Zach Collins, Jeremy Sohan, maybe Keita Bates-Diop. Those are guys who either have been here longer or, you know, in Sohan's case, he's a lottery pick. They have more invested in him. So can he earn minutes? Uh, maybe. He might be able to. If I can give one fun stat about him, you know, one of the three players in the NBA to have at least 0.8 blocks and 0.8 steals per game while shooting better than 40% a season ago. And the other two guys are obviously on higher volume. They're more important players. But Lonzo Ball, Carl Anthony Towns, that's good company to keep. So maybe he earns a role. Maybe he doesn't. Are you looking for anything from him during the preseason in particular? Or, you know, do you even think he's going to get to play that much? I don't think he'll play too too much, but I think there's a chance that we can see him play a good bit. Uh, I mean, last year he wasn't he didn't have a bad year, you know, for you know, a, a kind of a rotational you know role player. He started in 28 games, but really you know on you know two attempts, shot 44 percent from three uh, or 50 percent from the field. Like you mentioned, there's a lot of little things to like, and I think in a small role he could contribute. I think like hypothetically, if the, you know this is I don't think they're going to do this, but if the Spurs made the playoffs, like he wouldn't be in the rotation, right? But during the regular season, you know, I definitely think you could see something there, and the Spurs as well, man. We were talking about it last year. Their their bigs, their their front court situation is is far from secure, in my opinion. I don't think there's I think there's a lot of positions up for grab, a lot of a lot of minutes up for grab. Uh, so who knows, man? I definitely think there's there's something there. And then Zach Collins is the next guy, and he's someone who you talk to. You know, face to face, you interviewed him. What are your impressions of him? Uh, you know, it's his first healthy off season, but what are your expectations for him heading into this season? Uh, we were talking, and we were talked a lot about MMA, but we were also talking just in general. And uh, he was like, "Man, what an off season to be healthy!" And I was like, "Exactly, <laughs> what an off season!" Like, you know what I mean? Like, the the opportunity is going to be there for him to finally kind of show himself and show what he can bring uh, at the NBA level. But he's not looking at it from a perspective of being selfish, right? Me, me, me. He's just saying, this is what I can do at this level. I haven't had a chance to prove myself, and now I have an opportunity to do so. So I think he's going to be highly motivated. I think that he's going to be a guy that, I think as a backup big man, I think he's definitely, you know, I think that spot, it's trending in his you know direction. Like, he's going to take that role. But he's going to, you know, need to still anchor that down and really hold it down because, you know, a guy like Isaiah Roby is going to be gr- uh, grinding. He's, he's, he's a grinder, and he's going to try to get that spot as well. So I think for me, I just want to see Zach Collins get some more run out there. I think he was starting to improve a little bit as he kind of played more. And uh, I think hopefully, you know, off and off season that he's fully healthy and told me that, you know, he's really, really been working and really just mentally has been so beneficial for him. I want to see if that momentum can kind of ride off or ride on rather into the our, our first preseason game. Yeah, I, I think he's probably got that backup center position locked down for now. I guess one of my questions is, can he crack the starting rotation? I know that everybody's just automatically assuming that Jeremy Sohan, or at least most people are, that he's going to be the starter. But to be 100% honest, I kind of think it's Doug McDermott's job to lose. I mean, when he was healthy last year, regardless of his performance on the defensive end, Pop went with him. He was the starter. He never came off the bench when he was healthy. So, you know, it feels like Doug's job to lose. There have been talks about him on the trade market, and we'll get into that later. But, you know, could Zach end up playing the four? Because I think he can play a little bit of four. He can play, uh, you know, the five as well. But at the very least, I think that backup center position is definitely his to lose as well. Because I just don't see anybody else really filling that role full time. Like, love Isaiah Roby. He's a little undersized for that role. Uh, love Gorgie Jang. 
I don't really think he should play very many minutes for the Spurs. But we'll keep things rolling. We'll, we'll, we'll mix these next two or combine these two guys together. Tommy Cusey, Alize Johnson. I think they're pretty straightforward cut candidates. If you have anything else that you want to add to that, you can. I just don't want to spend too much time on guys who I don't think will be on this roster on opening day. No, I'm in the same ballpark as you, brother. <laughs> okay. okay. Fine players. Congrats that they made the training camp roster. I hope that they get a chance to show what they can do, but I don't see them playing very many minutes, so we'll move on. K-Debates Diop, 26 years old. He'll be 27 by the middle of the season. What are his chances of making the roster again? I think it's between him and Romeo Langford for that last roster spot. I think the only things he really has going for him right now are front court depth is relatively thin. And two, he has familiarity with the Spurs system, I guess. You know, he's been here for a couple of years. So is that enough to earn him a roster spot or do you think he's probably gone? I think Pop could lean his way because he would look at him as like a like a like a structure kind of piece because like you mentioned you know his familiarity with the system you know and and you know pop obviously trust him in some capacity to play him you know as he has you know throughout the last couple of seasons but for me yeah i think i think he is a cut candidate and someone that you know if it did come down to him and romeo langford if if romeo's healthy and depending on his preseason play uh, i would probably lean in that direction but knowing or not knowing pop like i know him but you know kind of seeing you know his track record i could also see him leaning in in kbd's direction just on the sheer fact of he's comfortable with what he brings yeah i think that's probably pretty accurate and i'll ask you one more question and we'll move on to the next guy but is there anything that he really needs to show you or i guess the coaching staff to earn that last spot on the roster because i mean he's fine in a lot of different aspects but I don't really think he's like elite in any one area and he's a pretty good cutter. He's really active when he doesn't have the ball, but like, you know, he's not a great shooter. Even as a cutter, as high volume of a cutter as he was, he didn't rank that high in efficiency. So I don't know. What does he have to show you if you're the coaching staff to keep him around? Man, to be honest, this is going to sound like bad, but I feel like if you've seen him play once, you've seen him play a thousand times. Like I, I I really don't know what like hypothetically like what is realistic for him to show i mean he's a high energy guy right and he's a really good cutter maybe he's you know more efficient um as a cutter but i mean really it's it's kind of it's like i said i feel like i've seen him play so many times and there's nothing really you know special about what he does you know what i mean so i think it would he would make it on a sheer fact of you know familiarity in the system and really just that comfort within what pop wants to do yeah, I think that's fair. We'll go ahead and move on. We're, we're going to talk about maybe, and, and I know I said that Keldon Johnson is the most important player on the roster, but in terms of like actual on-court production, this player, Yaka Pertl in particular, 26 years old, going to be 27 this season, one of the elder statesmen of this roster, he's probably the most important all around to everything that they do. And Dame, I'll give you a quote directly from Greg Popovich about one Yaka Pertl here. He said, and I, I honestly, I almost couldn't believe it when he said this, but he said, for our group right now, he's what Timmy was in those championship years. A lot of stuff comes from the example he sets on the court, just the way that he conducts himself. He's the ultimate pro. Now, obviously, he's not saying he's Tim Duncan, yeah. but I think he's kind of echoing the sentiment that we've said that he is just so important as a screener, as a short roll passer, 
as a rim protector, as a communicator on the defensive end, just all those little things he does, the rebounding, the offensive rebounding, the boxing out, like all of those things, no one else does it as well as Jakob does. So I don't, I don't think we need to talk about our expectations for him, but do you think he's a guy who they should keep around because his name has been on the trade market? I think the Spurs should be looking to to trade anyone on this roster, but I would be very hesitant of a guy like Jakob because I feel like he's a guy that really just embodies what you want to do on you know on and off the court. I think Pop mentions that too when he's like, "Hey, he's very valuable. Really sets the example. You know, blah blah blah. You, you hear the whole you know the whole story there. And I think you know if there is a an older player that you're going to keep, an older I mean he's still a young man, but an older player you're going to keep. It is Jakob Pertl, and I think that he's a guy that he's a core kind of piece, a core center that you can have whose skill set will really continue to develop and, and, and kind of maintain itself, maintain its, its worth uh, no matter which direction the NBA goes because that's kind of like the two big, you know, builds right now in, in you know, modern centers is like the rim-running, you know, rim-protecting center, right, the one that doesn't really offer you much offensively. Or the crazy, you know, score that can put the ball on the floor, right? That's kind of like the two, you know, wide yeah. difference builds in the NBA. And Jakob, within his role, is really, really good, man. I mean, top six, seven center in the league, probably. You know, and, and defensively, he's fantastic. So, I think he's he embodies everything that you want. And I think he'd be a guy that I would keep uh, if I was a Spurs. Yeah, I think I would keep him, too, at least until the trade deadline. Because I do think at a certain oh, okay. point, you got to go, okay, what do we have here? Is Jakob Pertl... You know, definitely the starter. He is going to be up for a contract extension or another contract extension. And, you know, how much do you want to pay him? You know, it's the final year of his contract. What is he showing? You know, how much value can you get for him? Right now, it sounds like two first rounders. And I think the other thing that's kind of interesting about Jakob is Pop said he's the only starter, like, locked in right now. They asked about the other starters, and he said, you know, Jakob is our five, and we'll go from there. And I do think that speaks volumes as to how valuable they see Jakob. So even though I think maybe they should trade him at the trade deadline, try to maximize his value, I think there is a very real possibility that, you know, he's still here after the trade deadline. They may really value that structure. And I think that is valuable to a certain degree for sure. And I think, too, for young teams in particular, it makes it even more valuable. But to your point, if someone does offer San Antonio two first-round picks, I think, depending on the protections, of course— you might have to take that. Like that's a pretty solid deal. But but if it's if it's not that, you know, that good of a deal, I don't think re-signing Yaka Pertle, not saying you're saying this, but I think kind of there'd be some people that say, "Oh, you know, why would you keep him blah blah blah." I don't think the Spurs would be making a bad deal if they kept Yaka Pertle unless they're, you know, giving him a max, which I don't even think he's eligible for that. But yeah, I don't think it'd be a bad bad deal either to keep a guy like that. No, not at all. And I think these next two guys, we'll go ahead and combine them as well. Josh Richardson, 29 years old. Doug McDermott, he'll be 31 years old in the middle of the season. They kind of fit that same mold where they're, they don't really need the ball in their hands and their skill set is valuable to the team. But how valuable is it that you want to keep them around? Like, should you be looking to trade them? I think the answer is probably yes, right? You probably. should be looking to trade them. But are they also in the same boat where maybe hold off until the trade deadline? Or are you just trying to get the first thing that comes across the table? I, I think I would I would hold I would really I would really be patient. I'd honestly because 
I think both of them can actually kind of improve their value as the season goes along. But they could also, it's like, they're not super, like, Josh Richardson actually, I think, is more consistent than Doug. Uh, and actually, he's probably more valuable uh, than Doug because he can do stuff on, on both ends of the floor. But, you know, Doug McDermott for, like, a playoff team, playoff teams are very, you know, antsy to give up, you know, first-round picks. They'll give it up like no one's business for a veteran. So I think you really just kind of play it, you know, day by day. But if I had to choose, I'd probably hold, hold, hold until the trade deadline because someone's going to you know, get a little desperate, right, and give you, you know, that first-round pick, right? So I, that's probably what I would do, but I would, I would definitely look to, to move both. I do like Josh Richardson, though. If I had to pick one to keep a veteran out of those two, it would be Josh Richardson. It wouldn't be close. Yeah, I like both of them as well. I probably would keep Josh Richardson past the trade deadline if you made me pick one. I think you probably should move off of both of them. I think Josh Richardson is interesting because we saw early in his career with Miami, he was more on ball. He got a lot of opportunities to run pick and roll, get you know the, the heat into their sets, and he's really moved away from that. But I think on a team that's devoid of proven ball handlers, that actually may be pretty useful. And he doesn't have to do it at a high volume. He can still be a guy who's mostly an off-ball shooter, provides defense. I think that has value for sure. But when you look at what happened with Thaddeus Young, where I was like, what are they doing? I mean, we both said it. You know, what are the Spurs doing? He's not playing. He's losing value. And then lo and behold, they were able to get a first-rounder out of him. So I think like holding on to them, and even if they don't play that much, it wouldn't be the end of the world. I think a team, as you mentioned, a playoff team, they are ready to give up draft capital to get a player who they think can help them win right now. And I think Josh Richardson, Doug McDermott in different ways can definitely help teams win now. So if they want to hold off on those players, trading them until the deadline, I'm more than with that. At least with Doug McDermott, I think he does provide value in his spacing. Because I really honestly look at every single shooter on this roster no one can do what he does. No one moves as well as he does, as consistently as he does, with as much purpose as he does, and has as much shot versatility as he does. And simply for that reason, I really do think he may reprise his role as the full-time starter. So we'll have to see, but those are two guys, really three guys, and Jakob, Josh, and Doug, who they may be out the door by the, by the trade deadline. And that'll be something to keep an eye on. Now the last guy, Dame... Probably not going to spend too much time on him, but what are your <laughs> thoughts on Gorgie Jang? I don't have any expectations for the preseason, really, for any of these four guys. We kind of know what they are, who they are, what they bring to the table, but do you have anything that you want to see from Gorgie, or do you have any thoughts on Gorgie Jang? I, I, I understood, I understand the move. Uh, another guy that, I think hypothetically, like if you traded Jakob, you would have a, a veteran presence there in your front court still. I don't. I still don't think he'd be playing very much. <laughs> But uh, he'd be more of a locker room guy. And shout out to him, man, right, for still, you know, doing his thing. You know, he's in the Udonis Haslam role here in San Antonio. Won't be seeing the floor very much, but uh, <laughs> will be a great mentor. So uh, that's kind of what I'm, what I'm, those are my thoughts on, on Gorgie Jang. Those are good thoughts. I think that those are very <laughs> accurate thoughts. I, I don't really see him playing very much. He looked less mobile in Atlanta than he did last time he was in San Antonio. He still shoots the three ball while in pretty low volume, but... Yeah, I would be surprised if he played very many minutes. So, Dame, we've talked about all 20 players on this preseason roster. How about we go ahead and maybe hit on just a few notable quotes? We won't take too much time, but are there any meaningful statements or consistent themes that stood out to you so far from training camp and media day? Uh, I think the reporters there asked everyone, everyone, every player the same question of, like, what did you improve on? And I do think I, I do enjoy those questions because – you do get kind of like a small, you know, hint of, of, of kind of what they're doing, right? 
So I think, you know, from little things like Blake Wesley saying, oh, you know, I, I improved uh, around the rim, or Trey Jones saying, you know, for sure, you know, the three-point shot, you know, continue to get stronger, you know, those are kind of things he was focusing on. Uh, I think everyone's quote of, of, you know, what they were emphasizing, what they were looking at, I found that to be very interesting. Even in Keldon's case, where he's talking about, you know, losing the weight, losing the weight, I find that very interesting that he looked at his body and said, okay, if I'm going to be in this, because I'm, sure, I'm sure they talked to him like, hey, you know, we're going to have you in this role. For him to go that head on yeah. with it, that kind of shows me that regardless of the wins and losses, they are all bought in. So that was kind of, those are kind of like the, the quotes of, of improvement and what they're looking at. Uh, those stuck out to me the most. Yeah, definitely. They definitely did. I mean, most of those players, at least the things that they were talking about, of course, these are things that they have to say. But out of all of them, the Keldon Johnson thing stood out because you see that. You can talk about improving a three-point shot or your handle or whatever, but you can't just say, oh, yeah, I lost 21 pounds. Like People can tell if you yep. did. You can tell he slimmed down. I'm excited to see what that looks like. I think the other thing that probably stood out to me was Pop was pretty honest when asked about the point of the season, and I'll just go through the quote real quick. He said, the point of the season is to develop this group and give them the best possible opportunity to have long NBA careers and enjoy the hell out of it. And whoever comes after me, and to me, that was really big, this part of the quote, and whoever comes after me will have the chance to take them to the next level. So, you know, they're not looking to win championships. He even, he joked too, he was like telling reporters, don't go to Vegas, don't bet on us winning a championship. It's a waste of money. We're not trying to win a championship this year. That's not our goal. You know, we're all in on development. So for me, you know, maybe they've said similar things in the past where like last season he said, you know, don't be afraid to say it's a development year. That's what it is. And we didn't really necessarily get that towards the end of the year. They were still fighting for the plan. But I really do believe them this time around that this is a rebuilding year. I mean, what choice do they have? They have a roster that has five 19-year-olds, I think two or three 20-year-olds, a handful of 22-year-olds. Like there's so many young guys on this roster they don't really have an option but to really go all in on the youth, especially on the first rounders and lottery picks. So those are two of the things that stood out to me. Is there anything else that stood out to you maybe? I think I think the the, the quote about Pop was really interesting because just the, the, the last the second sentence when he's like, Whoever comes after me will have the chance to take them to the next level. Just me being me. I'm just like, Wow, okay. <laughs> so is that happening soon? Like is that is that gonna you know yeah I thought the same thing he says whoever comes <laughs> after me like whatever we do this year is gonna set the tone for what we do in the future and like does that mean this is it you know what I mean but really man I'm just I I think what really stood out to me again kind of echoing what I said before was how everyone is really bought in despite everyone being on the same page knowing that hey we're not gonna be competing for titles this year I think that still shows Pop's leadership and what he brings to the table to get all of these young players bought in. When this is a results business and you ain't going to get very many good results this year, but you're still locked in and, 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 you know, still fighting for that common goal. So I think, you know, I think Spurs fans, despite the fact that it's not going to be a great year in terms of wins and losses, should really be excited to watch the growth of this unit uh, collectively. A hundred percent. And maybe the last thing that really caught my eye or I guess caught my ear since I was listening to all of these press conferences was a lot of the players, whether it was Josh Primo or Keldon Johnson or even Jakob Pertl, almost every single one of them said that the postseason is their goal. And I think while it's really easy to laugh at that and say, are you serious? Like, look at the roster. I think it's also kind of inspiring in a way because I'm sure that they know in the back of their mind, like, 
they don't have a chance to make the postseason. But if you set high goals, even if you don't reach them, you you still land somewhere where you can be happy with the results, right? And I like I think for most people, when you set goals, you shouldn't just set like a basic goal. You should try to set goals that are hard to reach. That way, even if you don't get there, you're still accomplishing things. You know, you're still getting somewhere. You're still making progress. And I think for them to all have the postseason on their mind, even though they probably know they're not going to get there, holding yourself to a higher standard, I think, can do wonders for their development, for their mindset, for their attitude. So I'm pretty happy with that. I think the last thing that we'll just touch on real quick, Brett Brown. We haven't heard too much about him besides Pop saying, oh, it's nice to have a friend back. But he also talked about how like a lot of the staff, including Brett Brown, has been spending time with the players, helping them work on specific things, whether it's free throws or three-point shooting or ball handling or decision-making. And he talked about how important Brett Brown is going to be having already gone through the process in Philly from where they were just god-awful to now they have you know stars, superstars, real role players that, you know, like Robert Covington was a was a was a part of the process. It's not like he ended up being a superstar, but he went from being this player who was an afterthought to being a real asset in the NBA that can command high draft capital. So seeing him be here with these players, I think that's going to be really important. And as we close things out here, there are a couple of tidbits of Spurs related news. It's been about a month since we recorded. Do you want to hit on some of these or do you want me to go? Because I think there's a few here. Yeah. So I think the first one that we absolutely have to, acknowledge is Becky Hammond and the Las Vegas Aces defeating the Connecticut Sun 3-1 in the WNBA Finals. That was the first championship for the Aces, formerly the San Antonio Silver Stars. And it also made Becky the first first-year head coach to win a championship since the inaugural season of the league, which like in that case, every coach was a first-year head coach. So she's really the first to do it. And I just think, first off, hats off to her. She did a phenomenal job. And that roster, I don't know if you watched any of the WNBA finals, but they're set to compete for a very, very, very long time. They've got Chelsea Gray, Asia Wilson, Kelsey Plum, Jackie Young, Raquana Williams. Like, this is a very good roster. And man, Chelsea Gray, I know Mark Schindler shared this on, on a Twitter the other day, but holy crap. She had one of the best shot making postseasons, I think, in WNBA history. They had a graph where it was like self-created shots versus points per possession. And like the volume was way over here, right? She was like highest volume. And then her dot for efficiency, points per possession, way, way up here. Everyone else, you know, in the middle or the bottom left corner. It was insane. And she absolutely deserved that finals MVP. And it's crazy because she plays with Asia Wilson, who's arguably the best player in the WNBA, you know, defensive player of the year, multi-time MVP, all-star MVP, like, that team's going to be set up for success for a long time. So congrats to Becky. You know, it still kind of hurts that she's not with San Antonio, but it's cool to see her, you know, having su- some success, some real tangible success in the WNBA right away. I mean, that's that's really awesome. There's a, f- a few other things that we should hit on, but Dame, what are your what are your thoughts on that? I mean, that it's <laughs> incredible. All I wanted to say is, bro, Ch- Chelsea Gray is a bucket. I remember I was I was at the gym. I was on the stair climber, and I was watching her play. I was watching them play. Who were they playing? I forgot who they were playing. And uh, it was, like, late game, and it was, like, like three threes in a row, just back to back to back. And I was just like, oh, good. I even tweeted, I was like, she's a bucket, bucket, <laughs> bucket. But, yeah, man, I, I, I'm I'm very happy for them, Uh, very happy for Becky Hammond. And, 
Yeah, a lot of Spurs fans <laughs> were, were very happy. They were happy for him, but not happy, you know, for the organization. So, I mean, yeah, but, you got to yeah, hang man. on to anything you can, right? Like, it's going to be a tough season, <laughs> so you might as well hold on to anything happy. And I think another thing that we should talk about real quick, I don't know how familiar you are with Candice Dupree. Do you know much about her? No, I do not. Okay, so she is a former WNBA player. I think, in, in my opinion, she's probably a lock for the WNBA Hall of Fame. She played for the Sky for... Uh, the Phoenix Mercury. She also played, you know, at the end of her career, I think she played with um, Seattle and Atlanta as well, where, you know, much smaller role, but seven-time All-Star. She's also a champion with the Mercury in 2014. You know, she was a bucket. She was a great rebounder. She's a really tough player, and the Spurs hired her as an assistant coach. She's going to be one of their player development coaches, so that's going to be really interesting, I think, because when I look at it, she wasn't like... um, you know, she wasn't like a three-point shooter. She wasn't like a finesse player. And I kind of wonder, who is she working with? What is she working with them on? And, you know, could she even possibly be one of those people who end up emerging as a candidate post-pop? Because right now, the candidates are what? Brett Brown, since he's already here. Yeah. Mitch Johnson. Who else? I mean, are there a lot of other... I mean, because Chip England, he's gone. Not that he was necessarily yeah. going to be a candidate, but he's gone. Ime Udoka's gone. <laughs> oh, God, Yeah. Will Hardy is gone. Yeah, we won't get into that, but Will Hardy is gone. Um, you know, most of the people who were like heir parents, Becky Hammond, gone, right? Like, so, yeah, I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what she brings to the staff because who is she working with? Like, her skill set is very different from a lot of the players who need to work on shooting. That wasn't really her specialty. Yeah, 100%. I think, and I think, too, man, uh, another uh, – Quinn Schneider is, a, is, a, is an option, too, is he not? Because he was – he's – like out for a year. I suppose yeah. so. He's yeah. gone so now, right? Be, yeah. So he'd done. be like another option, another name to look out for. But I'm just, I'm intrigued, man. I wonder who, like, who is it going to be? You know, like, and I wonder if Pop's going to have a, not necessarily like a say in it, but if he's going to kind of help the process. Does that make sense? Like, I wonder if he's yeah. have like a hand in it. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see. I'm, I'm excited to see what she brings to the table. I'm excited to see how this team works. And, and, you know, last but not least, we talked about on the last podcast, but Manu entering the Hall of Fame. He was the headliner for the class of 2022. Really cool stuff. It was cool to see Timmy talk about him. It was cool to see him go up there, talk to his sons, talk to his family, talk to the people of Argentina. Really, honestly, and and I kind of was joking earlier, but it is nice to have something to hold on to that's positive, especially entering a season that's probably going to be frustrating to a degree for a lot of fans because we don't expect a lot of wins. So, you know, that was really cool. I don't know if you got a chance to see that. Oh yeah, no, no, no. I didn't. I didn't get to see the actual ceremony because I don't know where I was at. What, what day? What day was that at? Because I was, I was doing something that. I day. I think was, you were working that day. Yeah, you might yeah, have been working that day. Yeah, but that's. I mean, yeah. Shout out to Mono Ginobili, man. Literally one of my favorite players of all time. And I mean, I can go on and on, man. That dude's special, <laughs> special. And I'm glad. I'm glad my childhood involved watching him play. That's for sure. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And. I think that's probably all we have for today. We wanted to catch you up on the news. We wanted to catch everybody up on everyone who's on this roster, all 20 players. We did that. So, Dame, as things have come to an end here, why don't you go ahead and let everybody know where they can find you on social media, anything that you're working on, and, you know, it's your time to shine. Just plug anything you want. Yeah, man, thanks for, you know, thanks for, you know, recording with me, man. It was really, really dope. Love doing this, and I can't wait to kind of hit this even harder once the season starts. Y'all can follow me on Twitter at D.A. Bartonic. That's at D-A-B-A-R-T-O-N-E-K. I do a lot of stuff in TV right now. That's what I'm looking to work in as soon as I graduate. So, yeah, a lot of content, a lot of Spurs stuff, a lot of Commander stuff, and a lot of MMA tweets because I'm addicted to that. So, <laughs> um, yeah, man, y'all, y'all, you know, follow me, follow Noah, follow Pound in the Rock, 
everyone shows us love and we show it right back. So I love it. Yeah, absolutely. Been a really long off season. We're both looking forward to getting back into the grind of an NBA season with the San Antonio Spurs. And you can follow me at N underscore Magaro, M-A-G-A-R-O. But that's about it for this week. So thank you to everybody who joined us for this edition of Alamo City Limits. Thank you to Dame for joining me for another episode. And for those of you listening at home, make sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. We've got a phenomenal staff of writers over at Pounding the Rock who do a stellar job of keeping everybody up to date with their favorite team. So go ahead and check our stuff out. But until next time, Spurs fans, take care.